here. A real treat today. Get to talk to a couple of uh, independent-minded scholars. We've got Lipton Matthews from Jamaica. We've got Nathan Kofnes, who is at Cambridge University. And Nathan Kofnes has written many critiques of Kevin McDonald's critique of Jews and Judaism. And now Lipton Matthews has weighed in. He's got an essay uh, critiquing Nathan Kofnes's critique. Let's start it off with you, uh, Lipton. Why don't you talk to me about your critique of Nathan Kofnes's critiques on the Jews and Judaism? So, hello, Luke and Nathan. It's great to be here. And I must in- inform your listeners that I interviewed Nathan some time ago, and f- every now and then we correspond. So, Nathan Kofnes responded to Kevin McDonald. Kevin McDonald is an evolutionary psychologist and he argues that Judaism is a group evolutionary strategy and it's an interesting thesis. I like the works of Nathan and Kevin MacDonald but I do believe that both parties can offer better ideas to strengthen these arguments. So Kevin is arguing that Jews are undermining Western societies. Jews are a minority in the West, and as such, they engage in policies to undercut the authority of the predominantly white majority. That's Kevin's McDonald's argument in a nutshell. Nathan responded by noting that Jews on average reside in urban areas and they are highly intelligent. And because Jewish people are highly intelligent, they're overrepresented in intellectual movements. However, I responded by noting that East Asians are also highly intelligent. However, they are lower in openness and individualism relative to people of, of, an, of an Anglo-Saxon descent. The advantage of Jews is that Jews have a high level of verbal intelligence. And secondly, Jews have resided in Western civilization for centuries. However, some of them have failed to assimilate into Western culture. Even Jews who are secular still express a strong level and sense of Jewish identity. So my I introduce a new argument by contending that it would be good for Kevin McDonald to improve his thesis by noting that Jews have a specific reason to be critical of Western society. Jews have been in the West for centuries. They have been the victim. The vic- they have been victims of the Holocaust, pogroms, and various economic atrocities. Therefore, if you are a Jewish person over a period of time, it makes sense that you will be oriented to criticize Western society. And I think this is a fair comment. So that's my major objection. To McDonald's work, he I, he needs to provide more data and sources to justify the argument that Judaism is an adapt is an adaptive is an adaptive strategy. Because if you're arguing that Jews are in, are invested in undermining Western society, you need to offer a cogent rationale. Yes, they're active in political and social movements, but why would Jews be opposed to Western interest? And Jews are opposed to Western interests against the back, the backdrop of years of discrimination. So that's my thesis. That's, that's somewhat new, but not entirely. In in Nathan's latest article, I have, I have the articles of Kevin and Nathan in front of me. And in Nathan's late, latest article, still no evidence for a Jewish group evolutionary strategy. 
I think it deserves a response because I have I have noted on my show that Nathan's latest response is actually quite brilliant. And it would be good if McDonald and some of his followers who have been following his work quite closely could respond, especially for the parts that deal with U.S. immigration and you, Graham, and also the section on the role of non-Jews in promoting multiculturalism. There's also another important point that I should be that should be mentioned. So Irving Kristol, for several years, was basically the intellectual king in Jewish in Jewish circles and also in neoconservative circles. And every and Irving Kristol criticized immigration. This this is not public knowledge, but Irv, Irving Kristol was not necessarily one one hundred support in favor of open borders. And Irving Kristol is Jewish and Kevin McDonald has posited that Jews tend to embrace immigration for the United States, yet they oppose immigration to Israel. When when Kevin makes this argument is not necessarily on is not necessarily on bad footing because people of Ethiopian descent who claim to be Jewish they have experienced discrimination in Israel from public actors and from the private act and from private actors. Both people in the private sector and the public sector have discriminated against such people. So it's not entirely incorrect on this point that Jews do oppose immigration to Israel. But Nathan can chime in now. I think I have spoken enough. Uh, Nathan, any thoughts? So people have been telling me that I don't talk fast enough. So <laughs> I've been uh, watching Ben Shapiro videos and uh, I think <laughs> now I'm well prepared. My wife is a kind of a doctor, by the way. I, she's not a medical doctor, but uh, she's a, has a PhD. So uh, now I know it's important to include that. Uh, I, I'm uh, very happy to be uh, talking to uh, Luke and Lipton. Uh, we've, we've talked about these things before and your um, your comments have been useful for me in helping me to see what what are the important issues that need to be addressed. Um, so, uh, very happy to be here. Uh, Lipton uh, brought up quite a lot of um, issues. Um, maybe I'm not going to take all of them on uh, at one time, uh, but I would um, point out McDonald's claim is that Jews were a necessary condition for the triumph of the left. So not just that Jews are overrepresented. And this is one of the, the, the main points of, of the culture of critique. You take out Jews and history unfolds completely differently. Um, and if I think uh, if one is going to defend McDonald's thesis, I mean, you can't really give up on, on this central claim that Jews were a necessary condition. So it's not going to be enough, even if one were to establish that Jews are overrepresented uh, among, among activists. If you're not defending the claim that Jews were necessary for these, for open borders and for multiculturalism, for all that stuff, then it's not really McDonald's thesis anymore. It's just a sociological theory of some differences between um, some, some feature of the Jewish community. Now, the other element 
core element of McDonald's theory is that the Jews who were responsible for these movements that, um, that led to the current situation, like Freud and Franz Boas and, and so on, that they were motivated, they had ethnocentric motives. So that's also another, if you, if you give up, I think either one of these theses, then it's not really McDonald's theory anymore. Um, and I mean, what, what is the evidence that Jews were a necessary condition? Um, I don't think that Lipton is necessarily claiming that they were necessary. Maybe you have uh, an argument to that effect. But you know, as I say um, in my, you know, discuss in my paper, so many of these ideas uh, that are now reaching their logical conclusion uh, about equality and blank slatism and all that stuff, these go back hundreds of years when Jews were still in the in ghettos. Uh, you know, the, the, the idea that the mind is a blank sheet of paper. That was John Locke in 1690. And he's one of the most in, influential intellectuals in history. And uh, many Gentile intellectuals building on this and uh, particularly uh, in the French Revolution, uh, these ideas were put into practice and by revolutionaries, no one, blames the French Revolution on Jews. And that's where you know, these ideas or modern leftism really traces back uh, and activism traces back probably to the French Revolution. Uh, and then these ideas about um, blank slatism were developed by Gentile scientists. I quote uh, the uh, abolitionists in the United uh, in um, you know, England and the United States, we're saying that there's no difference between uh, any races in order to undermine slavery. Um, they were quoting not not Franz Boas, who uh, wasn't active until the 1880s. Uh, they were quoting Gentile uh, scientists and Gentile authorities, and these ideas have just been appealing to. Gentile intellectuals for a long, long time because they are attractive ideas for people. Uh, the idea that we're all the same and you can make every, or, or that we're infinitely malleable, you can make people conform to any system that you like. Those are just attractive ideas. And yes, Jews certainly played an important role in promoting the blank slatism and especially blank slatism with respect to race. But, you know, Kevin McDonald and people like that want to shine the spotlight only on you know, Franz Boas and his associates. Uh, what about the behaviorists? According to citation data and, uh, and other, other evidence that I cite in the paper, the behaviorists were more influential than uh, the Freudians. B.F. Skinner was more influential in psychology, and although he wasn't quite the character that Freud was, but his influence was 
greater within psychology and possibly outside psychology. It was the behaviorist John Watson who said, um, give me, uh, you know, healthy infants of a healthy infant of any race, any background, and I'll raise him to be, uh, you know, either a genius or a doctor or a criminal or uh, a beggar. It doesn't matter. And that was the philosophy of the of the behaviorist. It's just not even mentioned by McDonald. Um, so I think a lot of the, these claims are based on a very distorted, uh, cherry-picked version of history. Now, uh, what about the fact that Jews are disproportionately liberal? So uh, this is uh, Lipton suggests, well, we have to take account of the fact that Jews have reason to do this. Jews have reason to be hostile to uh, Gentile society. They have reason to be uh, radicals. But, but that's all true. I'm, this is, I say this uh, in the paper. I think people sometimes make this mistake of saying, well, if you can find the difference between Jews and Gentiles, that this supports this very bold theory about a, a Jewish group evolutionary strategy or something like what McDonald is saying, that Jews are necessary condition uh, for liberal multiculturalism, but that I think that doesn't follow. Of course, there are differences, but it's a big step to say that there are differences and Jews were a necessary condition for all this stuff to happen. Um, yeah, of course, Jews are skeptical of right-wing nationalist movements because they have a history of being murdered by right-wing nationalist movements. And before right-wing nationalist movements got a reputation for murdering Jews, there were Jews involved with them. I give the example of uh, fascist, uh, Italian fascism, which was considered a Jewish movement. It was uh, the idea of combining nationalism, nationalism and socialism, which were considered uh, impossible, the complete opposites, impossible to combine these ideas. That was Margarita Sarfati's idea, a Jewish woman, the mentor, uh, supporter of, uh, of Mussolini. And uh, Albert Linderman quotes Hitler, commenting that at the beginning, although he was always an anti-Semite uh, since he became a public figure, but Hitler said that at the beginning of, of his movements, he had Jews who wanted to support him. Uh, and if he had held out his little finger, he would have had the whole lot swarming around him. But then he said, of course, he said they're not allowed to join. So, uh, and then we know where both Italian fascism and uh, Nazism then led to Jew killing. So, and now even in contemporary white nationalist movements, they inevitably turn anti-Semitic. The, the only major white nationalist organization in the United States now that's not anti-Semitic is American Renaissance. And everybody knows that it's teeming with anti-Semites, even though Jared Taylor isn't an anti-Semite and the, the official policy is that Jews are equals, but Jews are still getting chased away. So you expect, yeah, there's going to be 
a difference in Jewish behavior that the, a reaction to this historical and current reality, but this is not evidence that Jews are different from other people, that Jews are acting differently than any other people would act in the same circumstances. So certainly not evidence for a Jewish group evolutionary strategy. Uh, Nathan, you just said this isn't evidence that uh, Jews are different from other people, but of course there, there are going to be ways that any group is different from other groups. I mean, you can find ways that uh, Jamaicans are distinctive or Australians are distinctive or the Japanese are distinctive. So you're, you're not trying to argue that Jews don't have differences from other people. Right. So this isn't evidence that Jews are different from other people. But there is other evidence that Jews are different from other people because they are different from other people in, uh, for reasons that are innate to Jews and because of their cultural background, uh, not only because of the, the experience that they've had with, uh, with non-Jews, but just because of the Jewish tradition, which has many unique features. Um, so yes, Jews and Jews do sometimes do good things and they sometimes do bad things. And in both those cases, they're, the good and the bad will be expressed in a way that reflects features of the Jewish personality. Um, but uh, all that you would you would need, but just to make those observations which are true of other people as well. Everyone is unique and has its, is influenced by its cultural traditions and so on. Um, so you need much more in order to establish a McDonald kind of theory. And that I say has uh, never been provided. Okay, Lipton, do you wanna weigh back in here? Yes, 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 I do. So there is a book by a distinguished academic titled Fire in the Minds of Men. James H. Billington, he, he wrote the book. And in this book, Billington traces the origins of the French Revolution by situating it in the part of Freemasonic thinking. And many of the character the characters highlighted by Billington are not Jews. So Nathan is correct in asserting that even without Jews, we would encounter radical movements. However, Jewish people have provided intellectual fodder for such movements. As I said earlier, I think that Kevin's Kevin McDonald's thesis is interesting and important because throughout throughout history, Jews have been in conflict with other groups. They have been a disruptive force and disruptive can be a positive or a negative word. So if you're an innovator, you're also disruptive. There's another book by Thomas Dalton, a new book, and he traces the contentious relationship between Jews and non and non-Jews. Even if we go back to the Greeks, the ancient Greeks, people were, were critical of, of, of various religions, including the Jews. If we go back to antiquity, people were critical of Jewish people. So Jews have been in the Western, in Western society for a long time. And for many, they are basically strangers. And if you are treated as a stranger, you're likely to engage in some level of disruption. Nathan, Nathan's 
response that in order to prove the McDonald's thesis, one would have to argue that Jews are crucial to intellectual movements like liberalism. And, 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 and as I noted earlier, I like the McDonald thesis, but I'm also aware of its weaknesses. This is, again, this is not public knowledge, but the Jews are not necessarily early comers to intellectual debates. There's a, another book by Noah Ephraim, and in this book, Noah Ephraim argues that Jewish achievements in science are relatively recent. So there, therefore, if we're going to do a counterfactual, obviously, with old Judaism, we would have liberal movement. Christianity is a liberal religion. The, the, the Christian church built universities. The concept of the rule of law in Western society originated in Christianity. Religious freedom is also a Christian virtue. People like like the like Saint Saint Augustine, Lactantius, etc. These were early Christian scholars who promoted religious freedom. There's another book titled Christ Christianity and Freedom, Volume One and Volume Two. I read Volume One, and in this book, the writers trace the evolution of freedom and liberal thought in Western society, and they link it to Christianity. So clearly. Without Jews, we would have some form of multicultural movements and liberal movements. There is even an argument that Christianity is the root of wokeness. Christianity is a liberal religion that can be interpreted on many levels. So I'm not going to argue that we need Jews for liberalism or multiculturalism. I, dig I digress from, from, from Kevin McDonald in that regard. My own position is that Jews are a disruptive force in the West and they have a good they have good reasons to be a disruptive force in the West. Ma I, I think that to strengthen his arguments, Kevin McDonald needs to provide more data explaining why Jews are disruptive and why they would have an incentive to, to be disruptive. And since he's an evolutionary psychologist, I would love to see more research on Jewish skepticism. So this is where he fall short. Secondly, on ethnocentrism. So Nathan in his in his articles responded to, to Kevin by saying that Jews have a relatively high level of intermarriage. The Jews have a high intermarriage rate. And as such, we shouldn't say that Jews are ethnocentric. Kevin McDonald is arguing that even if Jews are likely to engage in marriages with people who are, who are not Jews, this can still be employed to suggest evidence for ethnocentrism because Jews are getting married, they're, they're getting married to influential non-Jews to undercut Western society. And he cites the example of Jared Kushner getting married to Donald Trump's daughter named Ivana Ivanka, something like that. That's her name, Ivana. All right, what, it doesn't match at the moment, what, what, what's her name? But he's married to that lady. And he's saying that this is an example to indicate that Jews are deliberately engaging in such marriage, marriages to undermine Western society. The Igbos in Nigeria, the Igbos uh, th throughout their history, they have engaged in marriages with outsiders for diplomatic reasons. During slavery, white men would either marry black women or get them pregnant and then these children would become slave owners. Therefore, intermarriage rates are not necessarily a good proxy for 
low levels of ethno ethnos ethnocentrism or even openness to new pe to, to new peoples because some people who are ethnocentric might like just one person who is black or one person who is who is not a jew but more broadly they are still ethnocentric so during slavery children who were raised in these relationships they expose a stronger ident a stronger white oriented identity than a black identity they did not identify with the black majority in in the igbo society people would get would get married for strategical reasons so there's evidence to, to, to indicate that the igbos would marry for strategic reasons and there's evidence to indicate that people in the in the caribbean who were who were of a of a mixed background were not necessarily more accepting of non-whites. Kevin didn't prove that Jews are getting married to influential people to orchestrate the, the demands of Western society. That's his shortfall. He didn't cite my examples of the Igbos or people in Jam Jamaica, but ethnocentrism, most, most groups are ethnocentric. It's normal for people to be tribal. In, in school, students, sort based on race in university they sort based on race even in prison people sort along racial lines so the jews being ethnocentric that's not unusual about jewish people that's the norm people of a of an anglo-saxon descent they are less likely to be ethnocentric but if you are going to debunk nathan's argument that jews are act that that jews are not ethnocentric you should provide substantial examples to explain why intermarriage rates are not a good proxy for ethnocentrism and kevin didn't really delve deeply into that issue okay uh nathan do you want to respond uh, so a few comments about ethnocentrism so first if we were having this conversation in the 1930s we would have very different intuitions about what groups are ethnocentric or not ethnocentric. We would say uh, Germans are the most ethnocentric people. And, uh, you know, the, the hierarchy of ethnocentrism has now been completely reversed, right? Uh, so that suggests to me that, I mean, if, uh, you know, McDonald makes a claim that uh, Jews are innately ethnocentric. There's, there's a genetic disposition for ethnocentrism uh, and that they're more ethnocentric than white Gentiles. And it seems to me that, although I'm sure there are uh, race differences in ethnocentrism, like there is in every other quantitative trait, um, although uh, we just don't have a lot of evidence uh, that for what direction those differences are or their magnitude. Um, and, uh, and it seems clear that the environment plays an enormous role in whether a population is ethnocentric. And that seems to be more important than genes, which is why you can have the most ethnocentric population in two generations become the least ethnocentric population, which is what happened uh, in Germany. Um, but I, oh. yes, I didn't want to cut you, but there's an, another crucial point. Popular, popular culture is important in this debate. So Larry David, 
is a Jewish, is a comedian, is a Jewish comedian, and in the series Kerber Enthusiasm, Larry David has self-deprecating humor. Many Jews have self-deprecating humor, and I think that this argument might sound superficial. But if if Kevin wants to advance the argument that Jews are involved in some sort of conspiracy, I, I think that this ought to be deployed because maybe Jews engage in self-deprecating humor to distract people from their policies or their agendas. But again, this is just another argument that I am inserting that I'm that I am inserting in the debate to strengthen Kevin's point. It may prove to be reasonable or unreasonable. It just came to my mind like a couple of minutes ago. I I, I mean the thing about these kinds of arguments like it's always possible to come up with a theory for why the behavior seems to support the hypothesis, but you could do the same for the opposite behavior. Um, so, um, you know, it's okay to have some ad hoc explanations uh, for an otherwise well-supported theory, but um, yeah, I'm not sure that would be the case here. But to continue uh, with uh, ethnocentrism and intermarriage, now, in uh, the beginning of a people that shall dwell alone, McDonald lists four features of the Jewish group evolutionary strategy. The first out of the four features is that it aims for the, quote, segregation of the Jewish gene pool from surrounding Gentile societies. So McDonald's own words, that's the first goal of the Jewish group evolutionary strategy. In the culture of critique, McDonald said, and he's repeatedly described intermarriage as defection, as giving up on the group evolutionary strategy. He said that there would be an effort to counteract intermarriage and that intermarriage rates would go down. That's what he said. Now, obviously, that didn't happen. I mean, intermarriage is completely rampant. In fact, uh, I, I had uh, quoted a Pew Research poll showing that 50% um, of reformed Jews and 69% of unaffiliated Jews reported being married to a, uh, a Gentile. And I suggested that this was an underestimate because it re included reform conversions. And, uh, that the, and I said the true estimate is probably at least seven, 70%. Uh, and I saw Eric Kaufman found uh, more recent data uh, among non-Orthodox Jews who uh, have married in the 2010s, the intermarriage rate has been 72%. So I was, my estimate seems to have been correct. Uh, so we, according to McDonald's story, our whole socio-political system has been designed by Jews to promote the group evolutionary strategy. And the first goal of the group evolutionary strategy is segregation of the Jewish gene pool from surrounding Gentile societies. And now somehow we've got us, that produces a 72% intermarriage rate. And 4% of secular Jews say that it's very important that their grandchildren are also Jews. Uh, and among those 4%, there are probably many who would, would accept uh, uh, 
you know, grandchildren who are intermarried, but who are the product of intermarriage, but who identify as Jews. So J Jewish identity has, uh, and as far as uh, preserving the Jewish gene pool is concerned, it's completely disappeared in among liberal Jews. This is not what McDonald said would happen. So now he says, well, there's a benefit for strategic intermarriages, like uh, Jared uh, Kushner marrying Ivanka Trump. Well, yes, sure. Uh, a, a few strategic intermarriages could make sense. But that's not what we see. We see a 72% intermarriage rate. How is a 72% intermarriage rate promoting a group evolutionary strategy, the whole point of which is to ensure the segregation of the Jewish gene pool from surrounding Gentile societies? How can we, focusing on one example, Jared Kushner, I just don't see how that, uh, how that makes any sense. Now, is it possible to be ethnocentric uh, and, and intermarry? And we throw around this word, you know, ethnocentrism. It's probably, a, I don't think ethnocentrism is a one-dimensional uh, phenomenon, uh, but certainly an important component of ethnocentrism or one aspect of ethnocentrism would be wanting to be around people like yourself, wanting to have a family of people from the in, in the in-group. So could you come up with an argument that it's possible, it's possible to be ethnocentric and intermarry? Maybe, yeah, and there, there are examples of, maybe you can find genuine examples of, of, of people, we all agree are ethnocentric, but they intermarried. But that should be the exception. But now the exception is a Jew who marries another Jew. And again, yeah, I don't see how this is, uh, how this can be said to support McDonald's theory. And yeah, so let me just uh, jump in here. I, I just don't understand how anyone could disagree with, with the point that uh, high intermarriage rates indicates low ethnocentricity because anyone who has experience with being married, you you have to bring your wife and her friends and her, her family into your life. So I know people with strong in-group identity, and that means they have no friends outside of their in-group, uh, let alone being married. So i friendly. I belong to the Orthodox Jewish community and many Orthodox Jews I know. Every single friend they have is an Orthodox Jew because the the laws of Orthodox Judaism make it very difficult to socialize with non-Jews and uh, secular Jews. So having a spouse who is of a different ethnicity is, is just weird. It just wouldn't work with a highly ethnocentric approach to life. Uh, Lipton, why don't you jump in here? All right, so again, Nathan cited an, an example of McDonald backtra backtracking on earlier views. So Jewish ethnocentrism, Jews know more about their religion relative to other people, and they also know, know, know more about other religions. 
a Jewish person can be secular, yet he still expresses Jewish ideals or Jewish ideals. So Jewish people take their tradition seriously. Judaism is not just a religion, it's also cultural. So in his response to Nathan McDonald could have refer to this event to bolster his argument that Jews are ethnocentrism. So in my response, I criticized Nathan and, and, and stated where he did well. And I also criticized McDonald and, offer, and offered rooms for improvement. Because if, if you're arguing that Jews are ethnocentric, there are several examples that can be used to justify this contention. It's not a contention that's hard to debate. As I said earlier, Judaism is not just a religion. It's a culture. David Novak, a distinguished academic, he has a book defending the state of Israel. Many noted Jewish academics express a strong Jewish identity. They write extensively on Jewish identity. Even when they are not religious people, Jewish, Jewish identity is central to their essence as a person. So for McDonald. Obviously, he could have provided more sources to elevate the argument that Jews are ethnocentric by even referring to the lifestyle of secular Jews. Well, I, I'm going to jump in here. The the idea that uh, secular Jews uh, have have a strong Jewish identity just seems really weak to me because I live among Orthodox Jews and I know how dedicated they are to the Jewish tradition. And when you compare levels of Torah learning, when you compare levels of, say, identification with Israel or travel to the Jewish state, when you compare rates of Jewish participation, Jewish activism, uh, Orthodox Jews, even though they only make up about 10-15% of the American Jewish population, they, they do more than half of things that could be defined as Jewish. I mean, secular Jewish identity is so incredibly weak compared to the traditional variety. I mean, very few secular Jews have any substantial grounding, could could pick up a page of Talmud and explicate it. I would say 1% uh, perhaps at most of uh, secular Jews could pick up a, a page of Talmud and and explain what, what's going on there. So uh, Lipton, I... I on what basis would you say that these uh, secular Jews have a strong Jewish identity? There has to be some objective basis for arguing that. Yes, yeah, so I, I, I cited a, a work by David Novak, a Jewish academic. There's another work by David Nuremberg, who writes, he writes about Jewish culture and history. So, but let, but let me make another point. So you're arguing that secular Jews they have a weak form of Jewish identity. Many of them don't in, many of them don't engage with Israel. They don't read the Torah as extensively as an Orthodox Jew would. And you are not incorrect, Luke. You are you're actually correct. Some secular Jews, in fact, are are, are critical of Orthodox Jews. They don't view them as sophisticated people. But my argument is that for many Judaism is not just a religion, it's also cultural. So a secular Jew is not going to go to synagogue, he's not going to read the Torah, he might not even have Orthodox Jewish friends, he's more likely to have liberal friends who don't expose to any religion at all. But as somebody who's of Jewish descent, that that ideology, that perspective of being Jewish, which is broader than religion, is still important to, to that person. 
So I know people who are highly educated, secular Jews. They're not religious people, but they are Jewish. They're not, they're not going to read the Torah. They're not going to listen to Luke Ford, but they're Jewish. And their Jewish culture, whatever that means, is really important to them. Uh, at what basis would you say they have a strong Jewish identity? There has to be some empirical basis. Either they know Yiddish or they know Hebrew, they know the Talmud, or they participate uh, in this you know, form of Jewish activism or that form of Jewish. There has to be some empirical basis of testing your claim that these secular Jews have a strong Jewish identity. What, what like empirical testable basis would you have aside from them sometimes talking about that they have a strong Jewish identity? I mean, what people say about themselves really doesn't matter much because people are usually completely divorced from the reality of themselves. Okay, fair, fair point. But a classic example would be the Holocaust. Support, support for, for, for the Holocaust. That's an, this is a critical issue for both secular Jews and religious Jews. So you're not going to find somebody of Jewish descent who's indifferent to the idea of the Holocaust. That's right, highly but, un but unlikely. They'd have to do something, right? They'd have to practically, behaviorally but, but, but do something. Way, if, Go ahead, Nathan. If, yeah. if, if I can uh, interject. So um, uh, also, uh, I should mention, I just went to reformjudaism.org, and I see at the, at the top there's a picture of a black person's hand, and then I scroll down, and there's a, it looks like uh, a group of black African Americans are having a dinner party. And then there's a picture of somebody from behind who I think is Asian. And that's it. Those are the, that's, those are the pictures representing reform Judaism, blacks and one possible Asian. Well, uh, that could be a political ploy. That could be a political yeah. strategy to say we're yeah. diverse, but I get your point. But, but a, a lot of Jewish identity has just become kind of superficial, social, a cool way of advocating for social justice uh, and, you, you know, obviously, um, you know, I, I went to, uh, I grew up in the Upper West Side of Manhattan. I went to a school that was, uh, I guess, majority Jewish. Um, uh, and I mean, Judaism in New York, I think, has a marginally higher status in most circles than being a Christian. and. Uh, of course, being a member of a victimhood group is a social advantage nowadays. So um, even if you don't really care that much about being Jewish, even if you can't write your name in Hebrew, uh, it's still nice to be able to identify with uh, a, gr a group, that the Holocaust, um, and being a, a, a distant relative of of uh, victims. So I'm sure that in some way, Jews can be kind of feel emotional about being Jewish, but that doesn't mean that they would learn the alphabet in Hebrew or, uh, you know, vote based on Israel, Israeli, uh, what benefits Israel or anything like that. I, I think saying that you you're proud to be jewish on a survey just doesn't mean doesn't mean much they don't care about dating jews they don't care about having jewish friends they don't care about jewish 
culture, except maybe they they have some very tenuous connect. They might get a bar mitzvah just because it's the thing to do. But 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 I, Nathan, I, two points, two points. One, why is it so difficult for Jews to completely renounce their identity? And secondly, I think you should explain your point about much of Judaism or being a Jew today is linked to social justice movement because social justice movements, especially those on the left like BLM, are quite disruptive. So even if you don't respond to the first question, that's not really that interesting. Please talk about the second question because some of our some of our listeners could be saying, look, Nathan is reinforcing McDonald's argument that Jews are involved in disruptive movement. So please talk about the second argument. So all mainstream institutions have become social justice. That's happened to every mainstream institution that isn't explicitly conservative. Even the conservative ones have basically become, you know, woke. So yes, the reform establishment has become woke just like everything else. So, uh, I mean, Jews are, um, I mean, if you look at the, uh, uh, the Christian establishment, it's basically the same thing. I, I mean, the, uh, the Mormon church is kind of the last holdout, but, you know, Catholicism is largely about social justice and, um, these very, I don't know all the different denominations of Christianity is some are worse than others, but, uh, Certainly, many of them are you know, leading the social justice charge, and for them, Christianity is about the, about social justice too. So, yeah, for Reformed Jews, a large percentage of whom are not even Jewish by ethnicity, um, it's also you know has very little to do with Judaism, uh, nothing to do with ethnocentrism. It's just religion has become identified with kind of political activism for Christ, for Jews and Christ, secular Jews and you know, liberal Christians. So, yeah, I, I think that's, that doesn't really mean much. Now, Nathan, we're, we have to talk about IQ more broadly. So in my article, I cited a piece from Richard, well, not a piece from Richard Nisbet, but an article that Richard Nisbet, Nisbet wrote. And Richard Nisbet, Nisbet's a distinguished psychologist. He writes on personality differences and country differences. And his argument is that Westerners think more analytically than Asians. So some years ago, Richard Nisbet published an article and he writes, across nine studies, East Asians were less likely than South Asians and and whites to attain leadership positions, whereas South Asians outperformed whites. The leadership attainment gap between East Asians and South Asians was consistently explained by cultural differences in assertiveness, but not by prejudice or motivation. So East Asians are highly intelligent, but they are lower in, in individualism and openness, and as such, they're less likely to be influential in a radical movement. So or I had a critique of toughness. I stated that toughness did not include this data, but in his latest research, he didn't. He actually cited information explaining why East Asians tend to be underrepresented in social movements. And this point is important because toughness 
thesis is really built around Jewish intelligence, but East Asians are equally intelligent. Therefore, if East Asians are intelligent and they are not overpresented in such movement, there's an obvious explanation. And another another issue that I think Kofnas, if he plans to continue the debate with Kevin McDonald, should emphasize is the role of culture. So Jewish people tend to be more political in Western societies. And, they, and as expected, Western societies place a premium on individualism, debate, logical analysis, and Westerners are actually more confident than non-Westerners. So if Jewish people are in the West, based on their personality characteristics, they're going to reflect radicalism and dominance in Jamaica. So in the 19th century, Jamaica had active Jews. So Jews were involved in slavery in Jamaica. They were big in the media business. And this is a major feature of Jews across the world. They tend to be media personalities. Jamaica's leading man of letters was actually H.G. Delissa. So H.G. Delissa died in the 20th century. He was an editor. He worked at the Gleaner and he was Jamaica's leading man of letters. The Gleaner newspaper is, the Gleaner is actually older than the New York Times. It was established in 1834. This newspaper was formed by Jews. So when J Jamaica was a, a colony of British, there was tension between the between white people and the Jewish intellectual class. There is actually a research paper complicating the Mount Bay Rebellion. And the the, the writer in this paper refers to the role of the of the Jews in participating the role of the Jews in collaborating with black activists essentially. What happened in 1962? In 1962, Jamaica be became independent. In the 1970s, Manley became the Prime Minister from 72 to 1980, the economy contracted by 25%. Many of the smart and richer persons left Jamaica. Many Jews also migrated. So today, Jews in J Jamaica are basically entrepreneurs, and the percentage of J Jamaicans who identify as Jew is quite minute. But Jews tend to be more dominant as intellectuals when they reside in a country that's headed by white people, or should I say Western people, people of Anglo-Saxon descent. But when Jews go to Nigeria, they're entrepreneurs, but their behavior is different. When Jews are anywhere in, in, in West Africa or the non-Western world, their attitudes are different. When they're in Asia, their attitudes are different. So for, so for McDonald's thesis, again, to be more compelling, he too must talk more about the links between Western culture and Judaism and why Jews are so active in the West. Okay, uh, Nathan, was there anything there that you wanted to respond to? Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I don't doubt there's an interaction between uh, Jewish characteristics and the cultural environment, and so Jews will act differently under different uh, different conditions. But uh, I re reiterate the point. McDonald's thesis is that Jews were a necessary condition for the rise of the left, uh, and that the the Jews who created these intellectual movements that he doesn't like were motivated by their desire to advance Jewish interests. 
So, um, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that there's no JQ, right? I'm not saying that Jewish, there's nothing to, to think about when it comes to Jewish behavior, that there's nothing to criticize when it comes to Jewish behavior. And those are not, although people attribute these views to me, I've never said anything to suggest that. I'm criticizing McDonald's theory, which is that, which I get this, the sense is different from, from Lipton's theory. And McDonald's saying, Jew, you take out Jews and everything unfolds differently. Um, recent history unfolds differently if Jews had all disappeared uh, in the year 1750. And uh, uh, so I, I don't see any evidence for that. Now, Jews, and this is, we didn't, uh, I didn't, we didn't pick this, uh, this issue up, which Lipton brought up earlier, which is that Jews have had conflicts since ancient times. Uh, Jews living among Gentiles have had similar problems, similar conflicts, similar accusations have been made. Um, and yes, Jewish behavior has been a part of that. Uh, features of Jewish culture, uh, of the Jewish religion and Jewish practices and attitudes that are encouraged by the religious tradition, uh, Jewish separatism, uh, and Jewish economic success, which um, was sometimes consp conspicuous in the ancient world, but especially in the last couple hundred years, has I think been the main factor uh, for provoking conflict, but not the only one. And again, there are examples of bad Jewish behavior and anti-Semitism was sometimes a response to that, so-called anti-Semitism um, or whatever. Um, but that's all different from what McDonald is saying. So I think it would be maybe a good idea to to separate these discussions. So a, a defense of a, 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 a critique of Jews um, doesn't need to be associated with McDonald, which I think exactly. this theory is not holding up. So one can criticize Jewish power structures with out being anti-Semitic. And again, if you're from Palestine, you're also Semitic. People on the far right, well, I think that term is mean, meaningless, but let's continue our debate. People on the far right, they contend that Jewish people are sensitive to criticisms. So whenever you debate the Holocaust or criticize Jews, people get upset. So Kanye West said something stupid. Kanye West is basically mentally unstable, so it's not a, a good example. So I'm not going to talk about Kanye West. But the truth is that one can be canceled for saying that less than 6 million Jewish people were killed. The, Atlant the transatlantic slave trade was brutal. Some argue that 
over 11 million people were trafficked. Some say that the figure is less. There, there are debates about the brutality of slavery. So people like Orlando Patterson and Trevor Bernard say that slavery in ja Jamaica and Barbados was brutal. Then some scholars say, yes, slavery was brutal, but there was also leisure, slaves at leisure time. So James Walvin and Michael Creighton, they have written on slave leisure. Some say, yes, slavery was brutal, but in the U.S. South, planters were willing to invest in slaves. They invested more in verse slaves than planters in the West Indies. We can have these debates about the brutality of slavery and the transatlantic slave trade. But if one were to question the numbers involved in the Holocaust, is cancelled. And that's a big problem for people. So if, if one way for Jews to combat these criticisms would be to engage more with these so-called deniers, even if you don't think that it's worthwhile. Because the moment you shut them down, it's a conspiracy. You want to take over the world and we can't trust these people. So what's your response? And this is not directly related to Kafsas. It's hard to make an, uh, a comparison between you know, slavery critique and a Holocaust critique. I mean, if you said slavery never happened or slavery was a good thing or, or something like that, I think that would that would be totally outside of what is acceptable. Uh, and if you said the true number of Holocaust deaths was five million, I don't think you would necessarily be be canceled for that. But but I I'm well, Thomas true. Dalton, Thomas Dalton, he has a book called Debating the Holocaust. I read that book, and he referred to some earlier figures that said the, the number was actually 4 million and that book was cancelled. It's a cancelled book. So maybe you are more liberal than some people, but for many discussing the, holo the Holocaust is a, it's a no-go, a definite no-go. I've seen, I, I don't know about that book specifically, but Dalton has said that the Holocaust is a fraud. Uh, so it's well, Dalton, you know, I interviewed Dalton and the interview was really polemic. It was a polemical interview, but the book is better than the interview. By far, the book was not polemical any at all. And but, I okay, think, but anyway, that, yeah. that, leaving that aside. Yeah, I mean, this is certainly a problem that goes back quite a, a long time, which is Jews react to any criticism by getting hysterical. Uh, even when, you know, this was really, I think, a contributing factor to anti-Semitism going back a hundred years uh, where there is some perceived insult or, and Jews just freak out without any a sense of proportion and without thinking about what the consequences are going to be, not thinking one step ahead. And it's a flaw in Jewish culture that has been allowed to perpetuate itself. Um, and this inability to accept any criticism, like if you don't accept criticism, then you will think that will end in disaster that whether it's a, a culture or an organization or a political movement um, you sometimes need to correct course and uh, you know it's like uh, 
the so-called heterodox movement or the in the intellectual dark web or whatever it was where the, they they never you weren't allowed to criticize anybody any of the leaders in the movement or or any of their their ideology and the whole thing kind of fell apart and there are many examples of that i, I think um you know the british are probably the best at accepting self-criticism. Yes. Anglo-Saxons, right? That, so that that has been like one of the reasons why they've been very successful is they've always had this, this tradition of criticism and debate and Jews just, um, uh, the, all they do is become hysterical and no, you not know, having any debate. Well, Nathan, I, I know some Jews actually well, I respect several Jews and I speak closely with some of them. There's one professor who is Jewish. He attends the synagogue and I'm a big fan. Anne Randall, a secular Jew, I like her. But I do agree with your point. Jews are critical people. They like to debate and they like to criticize culture. But when it comes to criticizing their culture, they appear to be quite sensitive. However, if they had invested in the alternative, they would be winning the debate because we have new evidence by people like Julie Mel showing that Jews didn't become successful because they were money lenders. So there's this consensus that Jews have done well in finance and they have done well in finance. But there's an earlier argument that Jews controlled money in the, during the medieval ages and no new research is saying, no, this is not so true. So if Jews were willing to take on some of their critic, critics who want to account for their role in finance, they would win the debate. But contemporary finance and medieval finance are different. There's an, another view in dissident circles that Jews dominate finance and entertainment, not because they're smart, but because they're corrupt people. What's your, what's your take on that position? And again, this is a bit separate from what Kevin has been saying. So Kevin McDonald has one thesis, but there's a there there is a inclination to link McDonald's evolutionary thesis with conspiracies against Jewish people. So people tend to just lump all of them together. So if you respond to McDonald, you have to respond to those who say Jews own finance or Jews own Hollywood. It's just a part of the game. Most people are not that logical. So the the argument that Jews, that Jews are that Jews have done well not because they are smart but because they are corrupt and they engage in nepotism. Yeah. So then you have to think that that's a possible that's a a possible hypothesis. But what is the more parsimonious hypothesis? We have Jews who are uh, you know more than half of the physicists who were most responsible for creating the atomic bomb were Jews. Uh, if you look at the top number theorists, it's a list of you know, high percentage of Jews. And uh, the top writers, people who, who are, you know, sell, are most successful writers, um, a lot of Jews. Nobel, if you look at Nobel Prizes, lot of Jews. You look at the Kyoto Prize, which if you say, well, Jews control the Nobel Prize selection. Well, what about the Kyoto Prize, which is awarded by Japanese people? 
Jews win that at exactly the same rate as the, the Nobel Prize. So the parsimonious explanation seems to be, would be that there's one factor or a set of factors that explains Jewish success across the board. Why would you say Jews are good at physics because of intelligence and they're good at, uh, you know, and they're leading writers because of intelligence and they're leading chemists because of intelligence and they're leading doctors because of intelligence, but they're leading, they're leaders in finance because they're corrupt and, uh, uh, and it has nothing to do with intelligence. Why would you say that? Uh, so I, uh, my, my default hypothesis there would be that uh, it's just, just they're, they're overrepresented in finance for the same reasons they're overrepresented uh, in other fields. Uh, Lepton, you live in Jamaica. Jamaica how much, yes, yes. Yeah, how much first-hand experience have you had with Jews? My first-hand experience with Jews is foreign. So most of the Jewish people I know are not Jamaicans. The Jews in the Jewish population in Jamaica is really minor. As I said, many of Jamaica's elites migrated during the seventies. So people who are actually in the elite from the plantocracy or the Jewish aristocracy in Jamaica, most of them no longer live in Jamaica. Some of them still live still live here, but they're entrepreneurial people and they're not radicals. They're just business people. And so you have had very limited first-hand experience with Jews? Yes, Is that... we, we, yes, yes, very limited first-hand experience with Jamaican Jews. My, The Jewish people I know who are abroad, their intellectuals are business people. So some of them follow McDonald's, Ma McDonald's pieces and they follow Hofnot, but they're not emotionally invested in these ideas. And their Jewish identity is more superficial. Or, or marginal, but I don't, obviously, because I live in Jamaica and I don't travel to the U.S. Frequent, frequently, and even if I did, Jews are a relatively small part of the population. So the probability of me meeting Jewish people as somebody who would travel to America every now and then is actually quite low. Yeah, I, I didn't meet, knowingly meet a, a Jew until I arrived at UCLA at age 22. I, I grew up a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. But w once I started meeting Jews, uh, Nathan, I did detect, you know, quite a distinct personality that Jews were much more emotionally intense. And I, I remember my parents were just stunned at how rambunctious Jewish children were. So coming from a a Protestant upbringing where people were much more buttoned down. I think it was it was Jewish emotional intensity, which which kind of blew me away. Uh, Nathan, now you live in England, which is much less Jewish society than New York City, for example, or the United States. So, are there any generalizations, Nathan, that you can draw between? societies that are heavily influenced by Jews and societies that only have a small Jewish influence. I, I come from Australia, very small Jewish influence in Australia. Uh, but I, I, I should say uh, people often uh, attribute whatever uh, success I have to Jewish nepotism. Uh, and it turned out that I've only been successful in the UK where there are almost no Jews uh, in academia, 
but in the United States, I, I never got, I couldn't get into graduate school in the United States. I couldn't get a job in the United States. So I had to get my education from Oxford and Cambridge and now employed by Cambridge where I'm currently the only Jew in the philosophy faculty. Um, but as to the cultural difference, um, certainly there's a different vibe um, in different cultural vibe. There's a maybe a, a little less um, intensity. Uh, people get very emotional about certain things in the UK, um, particularly trans issues for some reason. But uh, it it doesn't have quite the same edge that uh, that I think it has in the US and that might be um, there there could be other reasons for that but I Jews might might be part of the part of the reason incidentally there have been two petitions to fire me uh, since September and both of them were started by American women <laughs> who are not surprised one is a, a PhD, a PhD a white, I guess she's white, a PhD student in genetics. And then one is a, a Chinese American who, a master's student. So I didn't, uh, I don't know if this is only because of Jews, but also the, there's another big difference between uh, the UK and uh, and the US, which is um, there's a lot more diversity in the United States, especially at universities. There are a lot more blacks uh, in the United States than the UK, which is also, uh, I think, so because of the race issue is such a big thing in the United States, then everything kind of is centered on race. So that might be a bigger influence on the culture than the presence of of more Jews, but difficult to say. Uh, also, let them go ahead. Okay, so we're still talking about Jewish people and Jewish power structure. So Nathan, I agree with your point on the impact of Jews on finance. However, even if we acknowledge that Jews do engage in nepotism and are ethnocentric, ethno ethnocentric this is not unusual. There's a concept known as yellow social capital or Chinese social capital. So minority groups tend to assist each other. So the overseas Chinese, they will go to J Jamaica, start a business, employ Chinese from China. Then when that business scales and is successful, they export those people to Canada and the process will start again. So if Jews engage in nepotism and are corrupt, depend and and it and it all depends on what we mean by corrupt that's not unusual to jewish people for no nepotism sometimes happens i don't i don't question that yeah so for for people in the dissident right to be taken seriously 
they have to engage more deeply with some of these arguments that are actually quite superficial when you rip them apart. Because again, nepotism, that's not unusual to Jewish people. Africans engage in nepotism. There's corruption in Africa. I think what they should, their strongest argument is actually that Jews are sensitive to criticism. Criticism. So let's look at the case of Hollywood. The Jews are instrumental in Hollywood. They built Hollywood because Jew, Jewish people were prevented from working in elite entertainment. So Hollywood was an option. So to say that the Jews dominate Hollywood or own Hollywood is not necessarily untrue. The problem is when Jews become sensitive to this fact, that's the reality. Jews are influential, are influential in Hollywood and Jews are also influential in finance. Secondly, some people in the dissident right will say, look at the Jews. They finance World War I and World War II. The Jews abetted Hitler. And I would say, even if you are correct, so what? Black Jamaicans own slaves. Africans collaborated with Europeans to undermine other Africans. That's just people. That's not particularly impressive to say that some Jews abetted Hitler or Jews financed World War or even that Jewish Jewish billionaires have sponsored Black Lives Matter or the civil rights movements. People don't really think about the relation between the so-called evidence and the theory that they're saying the evidence supports. They're just looking at an example of Jews doing regular, in, in many cases, regular human behavior and then saying, see, that shows Jews were necessary, that, that every Jews created multiculturalism. Jews are responsible for all the, the bad things we, that we don't like. But yes, that's not, that's not how, how it works. Uh, and of course, we laugh at, they laugh at the same people who are making this argument about Jews. They laugh at, the, at the, these arguments when liberals make them about you know, white people uh, and they say that America is a white supremacy. Like, you know, how many times have we heard the, the Barbara Lerner Specter clip, right? Where she, she admits some random Jewish woman admits that uh, there's a Jewish conspiracy theory. Uh, well, so what, what if I find a white person who admits that America is a white supremacy society? What if I find a million white people admitting that America is a white supremacy, which I could, which if you had the time, you could do. Yeah, many people do. The, 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 er, the first set of, well, I sh let me recant. But the people who formalize academic anti-white racism are white people. People like Noel Ignatieff, they, they're white people. Uh, yeah, but... Many of so them if were you, not black. If you were, to, if you were saying that, um, if you would tell a JQer, look, we've got a bunch of white people, white Gentiles even, admitting that America is a white supremacy, they would say, well, that's not actually proof of the claim. They're, it's not, they're just saying that they come up with some uh, some reason why that they're, they're mistaken or they're saying it for some ulterior motive. Uh, but they wouldn't say, oh, well, they admitted it. So America is white, white supremacy. They would think critically about the evidence. 
but then those same people don't think critically at all when it comes to evidence of the Jewish conspiracy. Uh, just anything that is remotely suggests that Jews are doing something that maybe they don't like is evidence of this grand scheme, which is exactly as I said earlier. No, Noel Ignative. Or I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name correctly. People like Richard Delgado. Many of these leaders in the anti-white movement are not black people. They are white people who are high in openness, high in individualism, and they're not as ethnocentric as other people. That's why they have the social awareness to go inward and criticize their own culture. So no, Kevin MacDonald calls it, calls it pathological altruism. And he's not the only person who shares that view. White people have engaged in policies to, that hurt their benefits in the long run. In the long run, so like wokeness, for example, or universities established by white people rejecting the applications of qualified white men because they want to admit more women and blacks. That's a reality in America. But another point is the is the link between finance, financial crimes and Judaism. So people say again, Jews are financial criminals. Look at Bernie Madoff. Once I was online and a man said that his father told him that Jewish people, by using finance, they have destroyed many nations. That's what he was told by his father. Apparently, his father did not have anything better to do. And my response is quite simple. IIQ people are less likely to commit crime. However, this is an actual, an actual study was done by European academics. There is a link between intelligence and white collar crime. Therefore, if Jews are more intelligent than average and they're involved in finance to a great degree, then based on simple statistics, Jews will feature prominently in financial crimes. So there's a simpler response. It's not that Jews are automatically wired to become criminals, but highly intelligent people tend to engage in white collar crimes. Well, so also, are... I, I, I don't know if you would look at uh, people who commit um, certain kinds of fraud, like very low level criminals, like the average person just not reporting stuff on his taxes. Um, I, it, it wouldn't surprise me if Jews are overrepresented in that, but it could be that just when you look at the, the most spectacular examples of fraud, Bernie Madoff, like Madoff and, uh, who's the Bitcoin, the crypto guy, well, Sam Bankman Fried, Bankman Fried, yeah. um, I mean, Jew, Jews have been like in recent history, there was Bankman Fried. Elizabeth Holmes, who is not Jewish. Um, I think there's one other, one of the other, but Jews have definitely been like massively overrepresented among the, the spectacular frauds. Um, and uh, I guess that requires a certain constellation of abilities to not just, it's not just intelligence, right? It's, uh, uh, the ability to manipulate people and to put on a show, you know, showmanship. And Jews are often good at all of those things. 
so uh, and you know the economic fortunes of a nation go up and down and when things are going good going well it's rare that people say oh we should uh, make sure we appreciate this my wealthy minority who's responsible for uh, for the good times but when things go south then people are more likely to get angry and look for somebody to blame so jews any you know wealthy minority is in a potentially dangerous situation even if things aren't going badly people just don't like wealthy minorities and wealthy minorities get blamed and whites in in, Af in african countries white farmers are not appreciated chinese in southeast asia are and not in jamaica the chinese in jamaica people say that the chinese are colonizing jamaica and my explanation is quite simple east asians they score higher on long-term orientation long-term orientation correlates well with entrepreneurship and economic growth planning patient etc africans are the least patient people on the planet according to a research by a german economist jamaicans are predominantly the descendants of africans and if we were to take the research of oasis kodila tedika seriously then that's a problem because according to oasis and his colleagues low IQ Africans were more likely to be exported as slaves. So that's uh, the explanation. Uh, Lipton, uh, let's just talk about identity for a minute. So what's your primary identity? Is it Jamaican, as a, as a man, as, a, as an intellectual, as a Christian? I, I don't know. What, what, what are your primary forms of identity? I, I'm an individual and a libertarian. Okay, so uh, individual libertarian, and uh, I would identify primarily as an Orthodox Jew, as an American, and as someone who likes to discuss ideas. Uh, Nathan, what what are the primary forms of identity for you? Um, I'd say Jew, Jewish, um, not necessarily in the sense that I um, am interested in being part of a Jewish uh, community from which I've been alienated. Um, but I recognize that my, uh, my, my personality, my dispositions are uh, the product of this history of um, of Jews, and I, I feel that that uh, that connection, that that history. So I would say that would be my main part of my identity. Also, in being so a man, Nathan, this goes without saying. You are confirming my argument that even when Jews are not emotionally invested in Judaism, they still identify as Jew, Jewish. <laughs> Um, well, as I first, I'm not, I'm not a, a typical example of, uh, Jews. And I mean, if you're familiar with the New York Jewish stereotype, I deviate in many ways, but 
uh, ethnocentrism, as I suggested before, uh, I think it's a it's multi-dimensional. Um, so one way of being ethnocentric is to be comfortable around people like yourself uh, and just to seek out the company of, of others, which is kind of the opposite of what I've done. And my wife is Korean and I spend most of my time in Korea, my family, I, her, her now through my wife, they're all Koreans. Um, but I don't, I don't say that my, if you, you call my connection to, to Judaism, it's, which is really a response to the recognition of this reality that I am Jewish and my character is Jewish. My, it shapes my, my interests and way of thinking. So to just in recognizing that I, I just recognize that the reality that that is who I am and so it's inescapable for me. Uh, Nathan, though, if if all Jews were like you, there would be no Jews from a halakhic basis in two generations. I mean, you may feel Jewish, but uh, if, if all Jews were like you, Jews would just disappear. I mean, mm. I, I assume you don't put on tefillin. I assume you don't study Torah. I assume that you're not deeply involved with, with Israel. I, I assume that you don't really belong to any uh, particular Jewish communities. A am I wrong on any of that? Oh, of course, if all Jews were like me or as much like me in the relevant respects as could be, uh, would be possible, uh, there would be more of a Jewish culture that uh, I think it would be, uh, that would be attractive and something that people would want to participate in. I'm Jewish. So if you went back two or three generations, I'm sure that Jews really did um, like they living in a Jewish community was meaningful to them and they, they um, felt that they benefited from it. They could identify with it enthusiastically. And if you told them that it's all gonna disappear there's going to be no more Yiddish, no more, you know, Jewish theater, no more Jewish art, um, no more Jewish traditions. They would have been, they would have been very unhappy about that. And, but they didn't, they just took it for granted that, yeah, there are a lot of Jews. It's all going to continue in some form forever. Uh, but nobody really making any effort to ensure that the good aspects of Jewish culture would be preserved. And again, not allowing any self-criticism or any introspection. Um, so then, you know, it all fell apart. And now we have 72% intermarriage rate and uh, Jews don't even care whether their grandchildren will, will be Jewish anymore. I think that's, I think something valuable was lost but that's what happened. Nathan, the light bulb in my head it just went off. Black people, black nationalists are more respected than white nationalists. White nationalists are a minority in the country. Black lives matter despite 
being a terrorist group that's under investigation for, for financial impropriety is still revered by many leading acolytes on the left and on the right. And yes, I've read Anthony Walsh, Edward MacDonald, many of the criticisms that I don't respect the BLM movement any at all. But Blacks, Blacks are radical. The, the civil rights movement had a radical aspect. Martin Luther King sympathized with, with, with communism. Many of his closest allies were people on the, the far left. Mar and unlike other Black leaders like Booker T. Washington and Marcus Garvey, King was not that conservative. King, in today's in today's terminology, King would be an identity, and he would be he would be a supporter of identity politics. I have a list, so I'm not going to bother to try and pronounce that word. So blacks are radicals. Some people criticize radical black culture, but there isn't a conspiracy pieces averring that blacks are invested in undercutting with white civilization. Why do you think that this is the case, Nathan? Well, the the uh, the Jewish theory has a very long tradition, and blacks when blacks are slaves or second class citizens, it doesn't make sense to say they're responsible for these bad political trends if they obviously have no power. But you know, you have for basically 150, maybe uh, almost 200 years, you have Jews attaining these very high positions, which may not be well understood by the average person um, and uh, being very wealthy, having political connections. So and that, that hypothesis on, on its face, it makes a lot more sense to say this about Jews and to say this about Blacks, uh, it probably wouldn't have made much sense I'm not, I'm during the Middle Ages to attribute political, bad political trends to Jews. So they say that Jews poison wells or, or that they, they steal or whatever. They could say that in the Middle Ages, but if Jews don't really have a lot of conspicuous political power, then they can't say it. It's very difficult to say. Although they could in Spain, maybe it was maybe different. But uh, so, and even now you have uh, you have a large black underclass. Uh, you do have black uh, intellectuals, black activists, but I don't think they have the same. Uh, nefarious aura that some of you know, the Jewish political activists have. So, uh, yeah, Nathan, I, let, I, let, let, let me just jump in. Uh, one one argument that uh, IQ is primarily may primarily or at least significantly be uh, responsible for disproportionate amounts of uh, Jewish success in certain areas of, of life is that uh, Sephardic Jews and Mizrahi Jews who have much lower IQs are not disproportionately successful. So uh, the average Mizrahi IQ, I believe, is around 92. The average Sephardic Jew, Jewish IQ is around 97. The average Ashkenazi IQ is around 110 to, to 112. 
when you when you add up say the 50 most influential jews in the 20th century you know i'd be surprised if you had more than one or two who were sephardic or mizrahi jewish influence and success is overwhelmingly an ashkenazi phenomenon it's not sephardic jews who are dominating culture and finance it's not mizrahi jews is that true for sephardim meaning spanish jews Uh, because i i thought that uh, uh i mean italian jews had been uh, mainly Sephardim, French Jews had been, I believe, mainly Sephardim until recently, and uh, they were like wildly overrepresented to the same extent as Ashkenazim, uh, and Jews had uh, were very very prominent in Spain before the expulsion, and, and there was certainly a stereotype that Sephardim were uh, more sophisticated than uh, less than uh, than Ashkenazim, especially uh, from you know Poland and Russia. Well, uh, who who are the most successful and influential Sephardic Jews today? It, it'd be hard to even name any. Uh, yeah, that's today, but they've been kind of mixed with Ashkenazim. Do we even know who the Sephardim are anymore? Quick well, point, uh, fellows. Quick point. So Jamaican Jews are not Ashkenazi. Many of them came from Spain, Portugal. They're not Ashkenazi Jews. Right, but Nathan, you can't even name an influential Sephardic, okay. successful right, Sephardic right, Jew. Right, how many, what percent of the pop, current population, Jewish population, is Sephardi in the United States? Uh, the Jewish population in the United States is north of 90% Ashkenazi. It's overwhelmingly Ashkenazi. So, um, if there were, if they had similar IQs, which I, I, I don't know that that's the case, but if they did, then only one out of ten would be Sephardi. Uh, Hello again. So because I'm from Jamaica, many of the Jews who went to Jamaica are actually from Spain, that part of the world, like the Lindo family. They apparently originated from Spain. I think I am in a position to respond. So Jamaica can be the control group. And the Jews who went to Jamaica, they have done well in the financial and intellectual community. I don't know the IQ of the average Jamaican Jamaican Jew, but they have done well in finance and the intellectual community. So there's reason to think that non-Ashkenazi Jews are also intelligent. I, I just, there's just no evidence, I mean, aside from that anecdote, but as far as... Yeah, other than anecdotes. IQ, yeah, when you go to IQ tests, you just don't find... Uh, Sephardic or Mizrahi Jews scoring above, you know, the European average of approximately 100. No, Mizrahi Jews, yes, but w- do we have, I'm not aware of a test of Sephardi, like actual Spanish Sephardi IQ. I'm not, I don't know of any IQ test like that. Well, well, there are, there are Sephardic IQ tests, so um, I Okay, we'll just leave it for other people to research. But if 
let's just say what I said was accurate just for discussion's sake. The, the paucity of achievement, of high intellectual achievement, of Nobel Prizes being won in economics or in physics or the, the, you know, the math prize, et cetera. The paus- There's never been a Sephardic uh, prime minister of Israel. The paucity of Sephardic and Mizrahi achievement in intellectual areas seems to, if that's true, and to the best of my knowledge it is, that does seem to argue that, that uh, IQ is a, is a prominent, if not the primary factor in Jewish intellectual success. Uh, Nathan Kofnitz, is IQ the primary factor in Jewish intellectual influence and success? Um, so I think it, it's definitely the, the primary factor, but it's important to note that it's not the only one. And that I've, I've said this from in the, my original paper in 2018, I said Jewish IQ, which is something like 110 to 112, is not enough to explain Jewish overrepresentation. And people are constantly challenging me, why do you think IQ is, is the only thing that explains the differences in Jewish behavior? I get this hundreds of times, uh, but yes, I never said that. I never thought that. There's obviously something else. Now, I had mentioned um, the concentration in urban areas as another factor, which I do think is important. But in my original paper, I also alluded to the fact that there are potentially personality differences between Jews and Gentiles, but, you know, it's a mainstream journal. I couldn't really play this up without evidence that there are personality differences between Jews and Gentiles. Uh, But like, clearly there are, um, which is exactly what you would expect. Why do Jews have high IQs? It's because they were selected to do something either it was uh, to succeed in business as moneylenders or uh, to succeed as Torah scholars. So that would have selected for general intelligence as well as uh, personality traits that contribute to success in those fields and other cognitive traits that contribute to success. So that's the reason why you see Jews can be successful even in certain fields that don't require a high IQ. For example, in chess, Jews have been half of world chess champions, even though having the IQ has not much to do with the chess ability. Gary Kasparov had his IQ tested by Hans Eysenck as 135. At the time, the greatest chess player in history, just being in the the 99th percentile. Yeah, that's good, but there are a lot of people in the 99th percentile, which is not, who are not, you know, chess masters, uh, the greatest chess players in the world. So there's some, something, some, and also if you look at examples of very prominent Jews, uh, some of them are, you know, super high IQ, but some of them are not. Like, does, uh, did Stephen Jay Gould and Harvey Weinstein, uh, do they have IQs of 170? Maybe 120. That's where complex thinking really starts. Maybe their IQs are around 120. We don't know. Yeah. I mean, could be in the 130s. Maybe. I'm sometimes it's, it's hard to guess what people's IQs are and 
when you find out when you actually see the test you can sometimes be surprised i wouldn't be surprised if it's anything between 125 and 145. And, and what's your iq uh, nathan i know you got uh, perfect verbal gre score so what that would indicate 145 plus well i feel cheated by that because i finished there were two sections and I finished one 10 minutes early and the other 12 minutes early and I couldn't get any extra credit for that. But I mean, I did well on, uh, on the verbal section. I did less, less well on the quantitative section. I'm verbally tilted. Okay. Uh, and I saw, I haven't been able to find the original source for this, but uh, Cochrane et al. cite Hans Eysenck saying that the correlation between verbal and performance IQ in Jews is like very low compared to every other population. Uh, so you're, mu you're much more likely to have a Jews who are tilted one way or the other. Um, so I haven't been able to confirm that, but that's what Eysenck said. And that's consistent with my my experience. And uh, Lipton, have you done an IQ test? So some time ago, I was online and I did a mathematical question, and you said that ninety eight percent of the people did the question were wrong. I'm I I have better verbal and written skills than quantitative skills. When I was a student doing mathematics. Mathematics is quite logical, so you have to follow the step-by-step -step process, and I prefer to just get to the point by writing the answer, so my grades were just like poor. Even if the answer was correct, the grades were poor, but I just couldn't be bothered. But I've never done an IQ test. Maybe it's, I don't know. I don't know. IQ is really important. It, it is. I'm, I like to write on IQ. Is my IQ high? I don't know. Whatever. And uh, Lipton, you are an individual. You're an individualist. You're you're a libertarian. Uh, libertarians do, you have... do have IQs. On average, libertarians have really IQs. Right, um, but uh, I, I can't imagine that you're talking and writing about such hot button issues as this one and IQ and uh, race. That, uh, that that's good for your social life. I mean, what kind of price do you pay, if any, for your frequent engagement with these hot button issues? I don't pay a price because I'm black and I have black privilege. So even though I interview really radical people like Kevin McDonald and Gregory Johnson, white academics still rush to come on my show. So I don't pay a price. <laughs> and uh, Nathan, do you have uh, Jewish privilege? Um, I think... Uh... In certain contexts, uh, I can be more welcomed than than uh, than if I were uh, were not Jewish. In most contexts, uh, Jew now is perceived as extra white, so um, it's not really a, a social advantage in mainstream society. I think. So 95% of American Jews identify as white. Uh, do you identify as white, Nathan, in addition to Jewish? Yeah, sure. Uh, by the way, a lot, of, a lot of people who say they're Jews are like Kanye West types. So th the way those surveys are interpreted is 
you know, some Ashkenazim don't even consider themselves white, which I don't think that's that's justified. Uh, there are just a lot of non-whites who say they're Jews on surveys and they're not white. So, yeah, white, white meaning from having ancestry from Europe or the Middle East, and I have both of those. So, yes, white. Let, let me read a, a paragraph here from... Lipton Matthews, a response to Nathan Kofnis. Lipton writes, uh, Kofnis argues that brilliance aided by the right intellectual infrastructure will produce the ingredients for Jewish success. On this score, he is correct. The dominance of Jews has been pervasive environments characterized by high levels of trust and innovation. Trust is an important variable because it limits our skepticism of foreign intentions and lowers barriers to collaboration. By this measure, trust promotes wide-scale networks able to support the careers of Jewish intellectuals. Hence, intelligence fails to explain the prominence of Jews in political and cultural affairs. Jewish success is a unique expression of the dynamism of Western culture. Uh, Lipton, there are so many areas such as uh, chess or physics or, or math uh, where Jews have had high success, and I, I don't see how high levels of ethnic networking or high levels of, of trust and innovation have been important for these kind of individualist uh, endeavors. So uh, okay, maybe so you can elaborate. Point. All right, yeah. yeah, I will elaborate. So what individualism predicts institutional quality, economic growth, and innovation? Why are these chess players people who are resident in Western countries? They're resident in Western countries because in Western countries, civil society is robust. So in a country like America, a private individual will start a research institution. A private organization will sponsor a chess tournament. In non-individualistic individualistic countries like J Jamaica, people expect politicians to save the day. So they will not say, I am going to start an institute for academic research. They will say, Politicians should fund academic research. Politicians should invest in a football program. So because Western societies are so dynamic and they're also high-trust societies, they facilitate collaboration and, and innovation. So a, chess, so a chess player will likely emerge from a Western country because Western countries have the resources and the tools to invest in a chess championship. And West, Western, look, look at the Royal Society, for example. Francis Bacon promoted science and innovation, but however, Francis Bacon was not the greatest mathematician. Francis Bacon didn't have strong quantitative skills, but his ideas about the role of science in society and its application created a foundation for the, for the Industrial Revolution. So if I am a Jewish person in a white Western society, yes, I'm going to play chess. If I am a Jewish person in Jamaica, yes, there's a chess tournament, but it's not a popular sport. If I'm a Jewish person in Jamaica, will I work at the Heritage Foundation? Of course not. The leading research organization in Jamaica was started by a white man from England, John Rapley. So Jews in Western societies, they're going to do even better in professions that require high levels of individualistic individualism because individualistic white people are, are going to build institutions to promote innovation. So uh, that explains their question. Uh, Nathan, I was just in Australia for three months, and it was in December, and everyone says Merry Christmas. And I couldn't help but think this is a much healthier society where you all get to share a common ritual, while it's certainly in Los Angeles and in, in New York, uh, saying you know Merry Christmas is not the, the dominant thing. So 
is not a society stronger the more united it is? Well, uh, uh, I mean, America is in some many ways stronger than Australia. Um, it's whether it's better or worse, I guess. Um, to have a certain amount of diversity, I mean, everybody has different personal preferences about what the the ideal amount of diversity is. Um, I don't know that there's such a strong correlation between you know, having a few different, if everyone has exactly the same religion, are they gonna, is that gonna lead to higher GDP or? It's going to lead to higher affected. social trust. It's going to lead to higher social trust and higher social and cohesion. And trust is linked to growth. Yeah, that's just probably probably true. So that's that's one dimension of uh, success, I guess. Um, but I, it's I think relevant to point out that the idea that very homogeneous societies are boring or somehow undesirable that wasn't just a, a entirely a, a creation of jews many wasps had this idea without jewish uh, encouragement which is documented by eric kaufman in uh, uh, white shift i and i discussed some of the sources in my last paper uh, some you know, having a, a society which is only Jewish or only Wasp uh, can seem not so stimulating to some people, and some people seek out uh, seek out others, other cultures. Uh, some people just want as much diversity as possible, and that's their personal preference. I don't think there's a an objective truth of the matter about which is better. Better, Yeah, I'm sure very diverse societies have less trust as Putnam has, has shown. But I don't know, I, the fact that you can't assume everyone celebrates Christmas in New York, I don't know if that's how bad that is. Uh, well, Lipton, do you, do you think that the more united a, a community or a society is, okay, so the, the better? Quick, quick point. Dennison, his his research quite recent states that diversity is negatively associated with trust. People like not they argue that trust is good for growth. Trust is lower. Growth is likely to be lower. The best criticism of the link between trust and economic growth is from the Cato Institute, but most studies agree with the assumption that trust is good for growth. Di the diversity of ideas, that's super important for economic growth according to research. Diversity based on race, culture, and class, not that important. What we need is people with a multiplicity of ideas, and not just ideas, but useful ideas. Secondly, ethnocentric groups with high levels of intelligence tend to outcompete and outperform less ethno et less groups with lower levels of intelligence. Et ethnocentrism can be a positive, but it must be tempered 
magical thinking and individualism. But ethno ethnocentrism is not necessarily bad or unfortunate. It can be good, especially today in the 20, in 21st century America, more ethnocentrism is actually policy. What do we know about the West? The, the Industrial Revolution occurred in the West, the first society to, to attain the formal operational, operational state. West societies, Enlightenment, Western societies, the concept of freedom, Western societies, the global movement to abolish slavery, Western societies, which society places a strong premium on rationality and critical thinking. We have research by psychologists on this topic, Western societies. The post-conventional state, Western society again. So West, the Western Western society has been a pioneer in many intellectual movements. However, we're witnessing a phase of low regard for Western culture. So the so Western countries actually need more ethnocentrism. It doesn't make sense to say, get rid of dead white males. The Chinese are not getting rid of Confucius. The Japanese are not dumping Japanese philosophers. They still respect Fukuzawa Yukiki. So it doesn't make sense for white-led universities to say, we're going to take down the picture of Sir Isaac Newton. That's just stupid. Uh, Nathan, what uh, developments of, of scholarship would you like to see in the the discussion of uh, Jews and Judaism that you've participated in with Kevin MacDonald and other people over the past uh, two or three years? So I'm sure you, you definitely would like to see more research into... Uh, personality. So is there a more effective personality? There's an argument that in general, people being a little more extroverted than introverted makes for a more socially effective personality. Being more conscientious makes for a more effective personality. Uh, having lower levels of neuroticism makes for a more effective personality. Perhaps having higher levels of openness makes for a more effective uh, personality. So I'm sure you'd like to see more research into the extent that uh, different groups perhaps have different uh, personalities that are generalizable and that you can empirically investigate. Uh, I'm sure you'd like to see more research into what fields are particularly uh, susceptible to nepotism or ethnic uh, networking. Uh, what, what are some other developments in scholarship that you'd like to see? Uh, I'm thinking off the top of my head just more research into group differences and group interests. So, for example, I would expect that a more Christian America would be better for Christians, but that it would be worse for Jews. I assume different groups have different interests, and so as, as one group, say, develops stronger in-group identity, that that may very well have negative effects for, for out-groups. But, uh, Nathan, over to you. So, yeah, yes, you're definitely right. I want to see more uh, research on personality uh, of Jews. Uh, versus white Gentiles, which is almost non-existent. Um, and I would like definitive data on IQ and the components of intelligence, uh, the different uh, intelligences. Um, there are all these debates that are going on and on about exactly is it, what is the verbal intelligence, what is spatial intelligence, and also, they need to report not only the average, but the standard deviation, which is quite important and hasn't been reported and or there is no definitive. Because if the standard deviation is 12 versus 15, that, that, that makes a huge difference uh, in how we, what we would predict. Um, 
and I would like these studies to be very careful about uh, separating full-blooded Ashkenazim from people who are a quarter Jewish or who are Kanye West types who just uh, identify as Jewish. I would like to see um, IQ data for uh, Haredim and the different Haredi sects. I, what is the IQ of Satmars? They're the, the future of, of Judaism. And what is the, of the uh, yeshivish Litvaks? What is their IQ? This would all, I, I'm, this would be very valuable um, to know. And I think that would be, uh, that would illuminate quite a lot if we had that information. And uh, Lipton, what, what areas of scholarship would you most be interested in for this topic? I am interested in racial differences in envy. I think that's really important, super important, and it could help to bolster the case of people like McDonald. I would be interested in the the genetic link between Igbos and Jewish people and, and the IQs of Jews, and I also want more data on Jewish skepticism. Hmm. So th those th these are my three three points. And do you have a tribal identity going back to Africa? I assume your ancestors come from well, West Africa. Well, I could. Okay, so Jamaica. Most of the slaves who went to Jamaica, they came from the Bight of Biafra. The Igbos are from the Bight of Biafra, and they also came from the Gold Coast. The slaves who came from the Gold Coast were, were slaves who had conflict with the Asante Empire. So Asante was the imperial power on the Gold Coast and it was more centralized than other societies. So most of the, the, the most Jamaicans of, of West African descent were from the Gold Coast are not Asante. People keep saying that Jamaicans are primarily Asante. They are not Asante. They are studied by decent and co-authors saying that most of us are from the Gold Coast. Orlando Patterson says that many of us are from the Igbo. But I mean, okay, so the, the Battle of Birth, Biafra, that, that, that was an important source for, for slaves. But many of the slaves who came from the Bay of Biafra might have actually been slaves from the Gold Coast. But we do know that J Jamaica imported Igbo slaves and slaves from the Gold Coast. During the period of Asante imperialism, some of the subject states of Asante embraced Asante culture. So it's not unusual that in Jamaica, there's strong Asante cultural retention because the, the colonialism has positive and negative consequences and some colonized people will revere the colonizer. That's just history. So not all of the subject states of the Asante empire were opposed to Asante rule. The alternative might have been worse. Maybe they preferred Asante to the Fante people. But most Jamaicans from the Gold Coast are not Asante. They're from the smaller states that were subjugated from the Asante. And many of us are also of Igbo descent. But Barbados imported a relatively high percentage of Igbo slaves. And the Igbos, they have a greater cultural impact in Barbados. So Bayesians are successful in Barbados. Barbados IQ is over 90. Barbados is a pioneer in social progress in the region so on indicators of social development barbados performs better than J jamaica on indicators of economic development barbados also performs better than jamaica jamaica has been declining on the human development index so 
the, the Igbos are known for long-term orientation, Africans are clannish, but Igbos are also known for individual demand and entrepreneurship. The Igbos have a greater cultural impact in Barbados than in Jamaica, and this has explained some of the gaps between Jamaica and Barbados. The Bayesians even today think that they're more civilized than Jamaica, and for the most part, it is true. Even during slavery, white people argued that Bayesian culture was different from Jamaican culture, and Bayesian, the blacks and the whites in, in Barbados, they acted differently from, from the other islands. Bar the planters in Barbados were primarily from the elite. So Barbados adopted a bourgeois culture quite early. Barbados employed sophisticated management techniques techniques earlier than Jamaica. Barbados started an amelioration program earlier than Jamaica. So yes, ba the Bayesians are superior to that are superior to Jamaicans in some respects. But the the downside is that when you are sophisticated and, and intelligent, you could be boring. So most people would prefer to live in Jamaica than Barbados. Uh, I Nathan, prefer to be in the States, but you can go ahead, Nathan. Uh, wait, just uh, Nathan, I noticed a really big difference between the Jewish community in the United States, say Los Angeles and New York City, and the Jewish community in the United Kingdom. The, the American Jewish community is much more uh, confident, assertive, aggressive. Um, the, the UK Jewish community struck me as much more retiring and, and discreet. Uh, Nathan, have you noticed any significant differences between English Jews and, say, New York Jews? Uh, I hardly, uh, I hardly meet any Jews here. Uh, I know a, a British Jew who was raised Satmar and then escaped, um, but uh, I don't know a lot of. Like regular, I know there are, there are a couple uh, Jews, and not in the philosophy faculty, but in uh, the uh, history and philosophy of science department. Um, I don't know. I just I haven't even though I spent years in the UK, I haven't met enough Jews to really have formed an impression. What about South Korea? What's the Jewish community like in South Korea? As far as I know, I'm the only one. <laughs> Okay, um, let's go for final final comments. I have to move on with my day. Let's go to you, Lipton. Any final thoughts for today on this general topic or any new topics that come to mind? I think the discussion has been quite productive. New topic, as I said, I'm interested in the link between civilizational complexity and the innovation, and I'm also interested in doing research on the evolution of Blacks, particularly Black Americans, I have strong reasons to believe that Black Americans are still evolving culturally, socially, and otherwise. And I didn't get to talk about it, but Ariel Tohaf, he has a book on Jewish people and blood libel and human sacrifices. We didn't get to discuss that, but there's also an argument that the Jews engage in human sacrifice. Either way, that wouldn't be unique to the Jews, but I have said enough. Bye. Well, I'm not leaving now, but I'm finished. Okay. Wow. Um, so, okay. I, I mean, just can't let that go that Jews have engaged in human sacrifice. Um, this would be a, a minority position in, in scholarship. But then it on is. the other hand, of course, you know, many peoples have uh, engaged in human sacrifice. I just, 
you know, having some empathy for the viewer. Like, I, I don't want to conclude the show with saying uh, we need to we need to talk about this this scholar who alleges that Jews engage in human sacrifice. I don't want to just let it go. Uh, Irel Tohaf, that's his name. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm familiar with what you're talking about. I just uh, I'm just putting myself in the in the the in the position of the average viewer is like whoa what the hell is that all about um how, how do you spell that guy's last name t-o-a-f-f t-o-a-f-f and his yes. first name ariel a-r-i-e-l okay yeah i think i've he's a historian so if people want to know what the hell that's all about ariel to i'll put a link so he's got a long uh, Wikipedia entry. So he's got a, a famous book, uh, Passovers of Blood, The Jews of Europe and Ritual Murders. It was published in February 2007, analyzes the cultural and historical background to a notorious 1475 murder trial in Italy, where a group of Jews were accused of uh, murdering a young uh, boy. The book's publication led to calls for Toaf to resign. The book was criticized. Uh, Toaf promised not to give in to pressure and to defend his work. Second edition of the book appeared in February 2008. So if people want to know more about what Lipton was just alluding to, they can go to the Wikipedia entry for Ariel Toaf, who is a professor of medieval and Renaissance history at Bar Alan in university. Okay, uh, Nathan Kofnis, any final words for today? Well, this is, uh, I very much enjoyed uh, talking to you guys. Um, this was a friendly discussion, not, not a debate. Um, uh, I did want to mention that one of the most common uh, replies to anything that I put out on, um, on uh, the JQ is that Nathan Kaufness is a coward who refuses to debate Kevin McDonald, um, which is the opposite of the truth. Um, I've McDonald has had an open invitation since uh, uh, whatever it was, uh, March uh, 2018. Uh, I'm I'm ready to debate him uh, at any any time between 9 a.m. and 9 p.m. UK time. He what? is well aware of this. In fact, Lipton has invited him to a debate with me. McDonald uh, refuses to show up. Maybe he doesn't want to debate a snake. Uh, well, uh, but when I've pointed this out to some of the the critics, they uh, they for some reason it still doesn't doesn't change their opinion about me being a coward. And none of them has said, "Well, oh well, in that case, McDonald is a coward." But anyway, I reiterate, McDonald, uh, I'm I'm ready when you are, if that's what you want. Uh, Okay, um, and and the most important thing is that you guys have have debated through scholarship. So what people can say on the fly is often entertaining and compelling, but what matters is scholarship, and scholarship is primarily a matter of the written word. Would you agree with that, Nathan? No, absolutely. And I'm not necessarily criticizing McDonald for for this view, but it's annoying that his uh, his followers are constantly confronting me with this uh, with this accusation that I'm the coward because I refuse to debate him. If he doesn't want to debate, that's fine, but then don't say that I'm the one who, who doesn't want to debate. That's my They'll request. just have 
They'll have just have another thing to go after you if uh, you, you satisfy that requirement. So when when people hate people, they don't need rational arguments. You know, they'll just cycle through them. Yeah, like I'm looking at the views on Twitter, and they sure hate Nathan Kofnas. <laughs> I'm laughing, and my IQ is 100 according to one person, but I, I, that's just laughable. I don't need external validation, so I'm just looking at the comments and laughing. Okay, thanks, uh, thanks, guys. Uh, good. Good talk. Uh, we'll carry on another day, perhaps. Take care now. Bye-bye.